Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. His rookie season in the NBA was one that so many dream of. He led the league in assists, averaging 8.2 per game. He averaged better than 15 points per game, was named to the all-rookie first team, and was the NBA's Rookie of the Year. Yet, when you mention his name, very few remember him. Even fewer can recall just how electrifying he was. Next on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we'll take a look back at the man who made the Buffalo Braves go, Ernie D. Gregorio. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shaped the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello and welcome to another edition of Sports Forgotten Heroes. So glad you can join me as we take a look back at the career of a basketball player who electrified his hometown crowd and, for a moment, gave basketball fans a preview of what the Los Angeles Lakers, a few years later, unveiled. Showtime. Yes, that was the kind of player Ernie DiGregorio of the Buffalo Braves was. A run-and-gun, never-slow-down point guard for the ill-fated Buffalo Braves of the 1970s. And joining me in just a moment to talk about Ernie will be Tim Wendell, the author of the book, Buffalo, Home of the Braves. First, want to let you know that today's podcast is sponsored by Audible. Audible is a terrific way to satisfy your reading habits, especially if you're on the go or have just finished listening to the latest podcast of Sports Forgotten Heroes. In fact, I just finished a book while walking through airports, Heisman, the man behind the trophy. And you'll get to hear more about Heisman and the Heisman Trophy next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes. For listeners of Sports Forgotten Heroes, you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Give it a try free at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. No risk. You get a free Audible book and a 30-day free trial. I'd also like to thank all of you for your continued support. To show your support, you can also go to sportsfh.com and click on the links to support Sports Forgotten Heroes on different levels. You can also access past podcasts, learn more about guests who have appeared on the podcast, see who's scheduled for future episodes, and click on links to see more about the Forgotten Heroes who have been featured. Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Facebook or on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Ernie DiGregorio. He was selected by the Buffalo Braves with the third pick in the 1973 NBA draft. 
after a stellar career at Providence where he teamed with Marvin Barnes to lead the Friars to a 27-4 record in his senior year and a Final Four appearance, the Braves took him just behind Doug Collins and Jim Brewer and ahead of such future stars as Kermit Washington, Sven Nader, George McGinnis, and Caldwell Jones. Ernie helped lead the Braves to their first-ever plus-500 record, when they went 42-40 and in his rookie year. In the playoffs against the heavily favored Boston Celtics, Ernie and the Braves surprisingly pushed the future Eastern Conference champions to six games. It was just the beginning of an exciting four-year run for Ernie and the Braves. But a knee injury just a few years later would cut short what was once a very promising career. And here now to talk more about Ernie DiGregorio is Tim Wendell. Tim, welcome back to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Thanks for joining us once again. My pleasure, Warren. Great to be back with you. Thanks so much. Hey, last time around we talked about the Buffalo Braves. And on today's podcast, I'd like to focus a little more on one of the stars from that team, a little-known point guard by the name of Ernie DiGregorio. He certainly had quite the bond with the team and the city. Tell us a little bit about Ernie. Oh, well, I think Ernie, I think a lot of fans, even casual fans, could relate to Ernie DiGregorio, especially when it came to professional basketball, because, you know, he was outgoing, but he also kind of looked at least a bit like them. <laughs> I mean, he was, listed at, he was listed at six foot. I think that's kind of a, a hedge. <laughs> and uh, he, he looked like somebody that, you know, not only loved the game, but he kind of looked like most of the fans. And right. so suddenly, you know, you know, everybody's got this, maybe this Walter Mitty thing going on, or gosh, what would it be like to play professional sports and blah, blah, blah. And yet here's a guy that looked like he could have just stepped out of the seat, down from the seat next to you in the bleachers or something. And suddenly he's out there on the court and he's not only playing, He's starring, and he, he was able to see the court in um, remarkable ways. And, he, you know, he had a great sense of, uh, you know, dribbling ability, but also to find teammates with the ball. I mean, he, he still, I believe, is a co-holder for the most assists in an NBA game with 25. And, um, you know, that's astronomical. And, you know, teammates loved him. Fans loved him. He was outgoing. And, and it, it even – in some ways, Warren, the old-timers kind of loved him. I think he kind of played that style of game. Bob Cousy supposedly said, you know, uh, when Ernie D was playing, even when his career was winding down, he said, you know, of all the ones who kind of came after me, you know, the great Celtic great, you're the one who played the most like me. Wow. And uh, you kind of wonder what Ernie D's career would have been if it hadn't been, you know, cut short by injury and such. And, uh, because it certainly got off to an amazing start and then unfortunately kind of fizzled. Yeah, it sure did. Of course, the highlight of his career had to be his rookie season. He averaged 15.2 points per game, over eight assists a game. He was named Rookie of the Year by the NBA, and he had a pretty good playoff too. Tell us about Ernie's first year and the love affair that developed between him and the city of Buffalo. Well, I think when the, the love affair even started before Ernie D even got to Buffalo, because I think, you know, as we discussed before, the Buffalo fan 
was pretty knowledgeable, still is. And they were especially tuned into the college game because the big three with Niagara, St. Bonaventure, Canisius was was very vibrant, had very great teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, St. Bonaventure had made the final four with Buffalo, Bob Lanier, et cetera. And this was well before like, the Big East and everything, where the whole landscape changed. Mm-hmm. And so they were very dialed into Ernie DeGregorio's college team, which was Providence College, you know, which um, had Marvin Barnes and Kevin Stakem. And if it hadn't been for some injuries, especially with Barnes, they made the final four Ernie D's senior year before he went into the NBA. So we're talking 72 season, um, 72, 73. And if it hadn't been for some injuries, they possibly could have won right. the national championship. I yep. mean, they had that good a team. And, and they were also with Ernie D at the point guard. Everybody knew to run their lanes. I mean, he was, there's a famous highlight. People can find it on YouTube where he pretty much hit Kevin Sakem with a behind the back pass that almost goes the length of the court. Wow. And you're just, and you're just going, that's crazy. And then to, to even ratchet things up in the notoriety business, I mean, not only does he take his team to the final four and maybe with some breaks could have won it, but you know, they're there on national TV. He ended up playing a, a, a exhibition series and it, we're now talking, you got to remember, this is kind of the height of the Cold War sports. Mm-hmm. And this isn't that long after the Munich Olympics, where pretty much the U.S. team felt they got jobbed from the gold medal after they replayed the ending over and over. And yeah, like until three finally times. The Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, three times. Let's do it until again. We still Soviet didn't win. win. Yeah, let's, no, we'll keep yeah. playing this until the, until the wrong team wins. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they hadn't played, there hadn't been... I don't believe, you know, they hadn't been hardly any games between the Soviet Union and the U.S. and basketball. And Ernie D. ends up on this team with Bill Walton and other college all-stars, and they beat the Soviets in Madison Square Garden. And again, people can find footage of this. The game ends with Ernie D. Gregorio pretty much dribbling out the clock with, you know, and they're ahead. The, the Americans are ahead with two or three Soviets chasing them all over the court. And they, they couldn't even foul them. I mean, he was just like everywhere. It was like, you know, he looked like somebody from, you know, Harlem Globetrotters or something. And so even before he gets to Buffalo, people had seen him on TV and uh, certainly larger than life and, and doing these starring roles. And also, this is a different era, I think, a little bit. Certainly it was with maybe basketball in Buffalo, but maybe the whole NBA overall. If you had starred in college, you had a pretty good chance of stepping right in to a starting role in the, at the NBA level. And mm-hmm. R.E.D. was taken third in the draft behind Doug Collins, who went to Philadelphia, and uh, Jim Brewer, who was number two pick. And he was third, picked by Buffalo. Kentucky Colonels, the ABA, were very much trying to sign him, but Buffalo outbids him. And so the Braves have him coming to camp, and Jack Ramsey, the Hall of Fame coach for Buffalo, who goes on to win championships at Portland, et cetera, had pretty much, without even really seeing Ernie DiGregorio play that much in person, had decided, this guy's already my point guard. Wow. You know, he had the starting job pretty much coming into camp. And in fact, they kind of cleared some bodies, 
you know, Walt Hazard was kind of on his way out already. I mean, he was he was getting kind of you know old in the tooth. But say pretty pretty Hilton. I mean, he was being shown the door pretty soon, and everything was kind of cleared out because they were that sure that Ernie D was going to be the guy, hmm. and he was, and becomes not as you said wins the rookie of the year. But as people kind of forget, the Buffalo Braves were in existence eight years. Ernie D repeat you know in a sense wins the rookie of the year award the year after bob mcadoo wins it for buffalo and adrian dantley won it a couple years later in 76 77 so in their eight years of existence they had three rookies of the years in mcadoo ernie d and adrian dantley and uh and you know if you think about it you put him with a high octane offensive team like buffalo at least they had the potential for that with mcadoo and Star Heard and now Jack Marin's coming on board. All these guys, they're not really guards. You know, they're not guards. They need somebody to feed them the ball. And all of a sudden, you have arguably the best guy coming out of college, you know, this super assist leader. Wow. Yeah, they loved him. <laughs> so, and things just kind of took off. A very good offensive team, you know, was even putting up many more points after that. And suddenly you had Randy Smith falling in the backcourt and you had this really kind of intriguing mix of athletes and maybe more cerebral types like Ernie D. Gregorio and and it all added up to very, very good offensive uh, basketball. Yeah, so tell me about what management saw in his game that they said this definitely will translate to the NBA game. Sometimes there are guys that just have that special something. They might not look like your typical NBA player. They might not look like your typical Major League Baseball player or NFL player, but they have that special something. There's just something. They have this innate ability to do something special on the court. And like you said before, he was not a big guy. So there had to be a little bit of a risk in taking him what did they see in his college game that said, that's the guy and he's going to help us win? I think it was two things. Warren. Number one, he saw the court so well. You know, if anybody's going to try a behind-the-back pass and it works almost the full length of the court, that means you're seeing things that maybe most even top-of-the-line players aren't seeing. And, you know, he was very creative and, and could see certain things. And, and certainly after the Braves players got used to him, it, you know, okay, I need to run to this place because if I run here, he's going to hit me with the ball and I'm going to have a layup. All of a sudden things started to gel. I think the other thing, too, was not not just seeing the court. I think maybe you know, a lot of players may can see the court in mm-hmm. novel ways. It's being able to deliver the ball when it needs to be there. And he seemed to have this ability. And Jack Ramsey in looking at footage and he, you know, he was watching these games as much as the Buffalo fans were, Oh, who's this guy dribbling out the clock against the Soviet union, et cetera. Um, so he was intrigued from the get go. And from what Jack, Dr. Jack told me in doing the book, Buffalo home of the Braves after about a week of training camp, not only everything he had seen on TV or in film was borne out, in a sense, it was true. It was it was better, and and at that point, wow. it was like 
here's the keys to the car. Go, you know, and 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 I think maybe one last thing helped them that maybe I, I think Ernie D. Gregorio, especially his first year, year plus before he got hurt, I think he would have been a star with any team. But you have to remember the team he's coming to is ramped up to score a lot of points. You know, mm-hmm. that that was the makeup of the team. And if and certainly if Ernie D. had a a liability, it was his defense. You know, like, you know, JoJo White from the Boston Thugs would post him up all day. And uh, a lot of other guards, Pete Maravich, et cetera, you know, would have a field day against him. That may have put him on the bench or maybe made him, you know, more part-time, you know, some kind of spark plug coming off the bench, maybe with another team, maybe like the Celtics, maybe mm-hmm. the Phoenix Suns. But with the, the makeup of Buffalo they'd already gone kind of all in on offense. You know, that's the way we're going to win. And, you know, we'll try our best on defense, but they already, you already have Bob McAdoo, who's pretty much a strong forward playing center position. So the die's already cast. And at that point, what you're doing is just adding more to your strength. And Dr. Dr. Jack was really, he was a big believer in that. And, and I think you can kind of look at this in a, you know, it's not just basketball, it's a wide range of things. It's funny, I sometimes even tell my, my writing students at Johns Hopkins a little bit, you know, go down this path a little bit. I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to correct the liabilities or what we see are disadvantages or we got to shore up that, that's a weakness, whatever. Dr. Jack um, was a great coach, I think, in a lot of ways because he realized maybe you can't do that all the time. Right. Maybe what you really should be doing is, okay, maybe the Buffalo Braves don't defend that well. Well, we can worry about that for a long time, but maybe the way we become winners is by scoring even more. And in a sense, go to your strengths. How much do you ramp up your strengths? Boy, and did he have he did yeah. with them? And he had the guys to do that. Oh, yeah, it was like lights out. And, and but you know, you think about it, a lot of offensive teams were in the they sometimes have problems if you have a whole bunch of guys that can shoot well, you know, where for, where some dissension will start is, oh, hang on, I shoot as well as that guy over there, but I haven't seen the ball in four or five times down the court. I haven't touched the ball. You know, that's where some animosity, some dissension can build up. Ernie D was the, um, the ultimate guy to get it all shared around, making wow. everybody happy. Okay, here's your takes. Okay, let's see what you can do. Okay, here's here's the ball this way. Everybody got a touch. And wow. if everybody's getting a touch on a great shooting team, that's that's pretty good. So when he was in college, it's really when the NCAA finals, you know, the 16, 32, 64, this is when the road to the final four was really just starting to explode on us, right? And mm-hmm. And he played at Providence, and man, he wanted a shot at UCLA. And you mentioned a name just before, a very colorful character, Marvin Barnes. He and (laughs) Marvin (laughs) formed a heck of a one-two punch at Providence. And had Marvin not hurt his knee in that game against uh, uh, Memphis State, who knows what would have happened 
What kind of effect did Ernie ever talk about? Did you ever hear anything uh, uh, about Ernie talking about how disappointing that loss to Memphis State was after leading Memphis State with a shot at UCLA? He felt, he told me, you know, in, in putting together Buffalo Home of the Braves, Warren, that he wasn't guaranteeing a victory against UCLA. I mean, UCLA was, you know, obviously a great team, Bill Walton, all these other guys. But he told me we would have given them a real run. And and I think, and I think they would have. You yeah. know, if, if they, if, you know, and I wouldn't short, short sell Kevin Sakem either. I mean, that, that was, that was a kind of team that, you know, the great fast break team, team, a lot of guys could hit shots, good free throw shooting team, you know? So if you're suddenly down to them late, it's not like you can play hack a shack and get back into it. And I think, you know, one of the things you were just underscoring there too, is this is the beginning I might be stretching it here a little bit, but success, the success, the success of a team like Providence is a reason why the NCAA tournament is so big today. It's not always the heavyweight. Mm-hmm. It's somehow, gosh, who's this team Providence? You know, this small school that's ended up in the final four. Oh, okay. Let's check them out. Whoa, these guys can play. And you only need like, you know, maybe, you know, Five good guys, maybe a couple guys coming off the bench, and you can go on, you know, a Saturday afternoon toe to toe with a, a dynasty like UCLA. And I think it's teams like that. Of, and I'm not talking like the the upsets necessarily. I'm talking about the teams like you know, let's say a George Mason or something like that that make the Final Four and go on these incredible runs that somehow go over now three weeks of. Uh, March and suddenly everybody, you know, a school you've never heard of, Providence, right. George Mason, you know, suddenly you're like, whoa, check out these guys. And you start to realize that they can play too. So Ernie felt, you know, it was really unfortunate. And um, ironically, Marvin Barnes, years later, even though they didn't overlap, ends up on the Buffalo Braves uh, in the last couple of years of their existence. And, um, but, you know, if Marvin hadn't got hurt, I, I think, you know, UCLA probably wins, but I don't think it's a, a slam dunk, so to speak. Right. They lose that game to, to Memphis State 49-40, to 40, but they had the lead at the half. And and what, what what's really surprising about that is they might not have been one of your run-of-the-mill Cinderella-type teams. Ernie was on that team. Marvin Barnes was on that team. These are two bona fide NBA players or ABA as well. Ernie averaged, and this is what, you know, in, in my research for this podcast, you would think, okay, let's go see what Providence did that year. And you would think that maybe Ernie was not the leading scorer on that team that Marvin was, but it wasn't that way. Ernie averaged. 24 and a half points a game that year to go along with nine assists a game. He was outscoring Marvin Barnes, who was no slouch at almost 19 points a game. Ernie was the leader, and they went 27 and four. Man, he poured in 32 points against Memphis State, and it just wasn't enough. He wanted that shot at UCLA, didn't he? No, very much so. And then, as you pointed out, 
I mean, that game ends up in the 40s, and he has all those points. And you just think, what could have happened if he had, you know, here you got the consummate guy who's able to pass so well, if he'd had somebody like Marvin Barnes, you know, on the front line that he'd be able to hit more with some passes. And suddenly things balance out, and, you know, suddenly a game that Memphis State wins by grinding it out and keeping it low scoring you know, probably the lid blows off it a little bit. And I don't think Memphis State's going to be able to keep up with them if it's kind of up and down. So right. it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, we're back to kind of coulda, woulda, shoulda. Sure. It's, 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 it, you know, these are the type of things that these guys talk about. And um, they know you get to a Final Four, you're probably going to get one shot at it. Now, now we got a bad break with one of our top stars and, you know, certainly rebounder second leading score, et cetera, goes down and suddenly even more of the weight fall falls on your point guard slash scoring leader. And um, it becomes even more difficult. And uh, so it's a, it's, it's an intriguing thing, but you know, in, in my discussions with Ernie D, you know, he's not one to belabor that. He often really puts a very rosy picture on the world. I mean, he's always kind of moving ahead with things and, um, you know, the last thing he kind of told me on this whole front was pretty much, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be, but mm. it, it, it got me front and center. It, it put me on that college all-star team. It got me into the NBA, um, and it allowed people to maybe kind of overlook some of his liabilities like height, you know, mm-hmm. you know defensive prowess, et cetera. It, it opened the door for him. So the Braves draft him number three, like you said, behind Doug Collins and Jim Brewer, and they 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 they, they fared pretty well. I mean, there were some other good guys in that draft. I uh, Sven Nader was there, George McGinnis mm-hmm. was there, Kermit Washington was there. Did the Braves ever think, or did did they ever imagine that they were getting a player? the caliber of Ernie D. Gregorio that that game would truly translate to what they needed. Did they ever imagine for a second that they were drafting the second straight rookie of the year? Well, Ron, I think they were hoping, but I don't know if you, you know, I held them down and said, did you really believe it? Maybe not. And and we're kind of, you know, choices, even though, you know, People in sports will like to say, yeah, this choice was made in isolation and using the, you know, the only the facts at hand and things like that. But I felt one of the reasons they not took a flyer on ED, and that, that's not necessarily it, but maybe took a bit of a chance or maybe were surprised at how well he was, was because they had passed earlier on Calvin Murphy. Mm. And again, now we're back to the height situation. We're back to height at guard and all this and they had been so criticized for that because uh, as we discussed previously calvin murphy was a local hero playing at niagara yeah. he wasn't the biggest guy in the world he was i think he's about the same height as ernie d i don't know i've never done a tape measure with both of them but um killer at the free throw think, line yeah same <laughs> type of player and and so the fact that they got criticized for that and then saw Murphy really come into his own, you know, soon become became a star. I think it kind of turned the thinking a little bit. GM Eddie Donovan, you know, Jack Ramsey, I think, was on board maybe even earlier. And maybe part of it was, okay, we we messed this up before. You know, we were so 
looking so much at height and, um, you know, all these supposed criteria, maybe we should just be looking, can the guy play ball? And, and at that point, when the conversation changes to that, then it starts to make more sense. And then it starts to fall into line with some of the things we've just talked about. Wow, we've got a really potentially high-scoring team. We don't have much of a backcourt. We don't have anybody who can really feed him the ball. Ooh, hey, this guy could. And um, and then there was no doubt that Jack Ramsey, if in doubt, Jack Ramsey would push for what he felt he would call it the creative ball player. Mm-hmm. You know, he really put a lot of credence in the creative ball player, and um, and he felt that was great because now we're going to be able to do more and, and we can all work on it together. And if you kind of talk about a creative basketball player, I think on that short list is Ernie D. Gregorio. So I think all those kind of fall on the line and did they think he was going to be rookie of the year. Probably not, but um, he certainly ended up in a good place for him and certainly a good place for the Braves. Sure. Now you, you talked about Calvin Murphy. You talked about Canisius. You talked about Niagara. So you're talking about, you know, local teams passing on players who were playing for local teams and, you know, possibly from the area. So he plays at Providence, which, you know, is not exactly right next door to Buffalo, but is in the general, you know, same region. How important was it for Buffalo to draft a player from the area as far as getting, you know, uh, to attract more fans. How important was it? Did the folks from Buffalo, did the fans from Buffalo know Ernie at that point? And was there a little bit of, I don't know, you want to call it homerism, but you know what? This guy's available. He's pretty good in college. We could use somebody from the area. How important was it to draft Ernie DiGregorio for the Buffalo Braves? I think it was huge, Warren, because he was at least, Nobody was sure how long it would last, but at least short term, he was going to sell tickets. And for Paul Snyder, the owner of the Braves, that was obviously the bottom line with him. And Snyder arguably was as big a fan of Ernie DiGregorio as Jack Ramsey was, but for totally different reasons in a way. I mean, Ramsey's looking at the makeup of his team, and as we just talked about, hey, here's somebody that can create things and he was a type of coach who really appreciated that he he really wasn't a lockstep type of coach and we're only going to run these plays where Snyder Paul Snyder who's a local businessman who has taken over the team somewhat reluctantly when the first uh, ownership group pretty much fizzles out and disbands he pretty much takes on this team as almost a civic responsibility but he's he's trying not to lose his shirt and um, the fact that Ernie D had been on TV as much as he had final four against the Soviets. Um, Paul Snyder's looking at this as here's a guy that can sell me some tickets. Yeah. And you know, and, and maybe, and maybe short term, and you know, the guy may flop, but I've sold, you know, up maybe my season ticket base and maybe I've got, you know, um, some great walk up gate for his first couple of games. And in fact, his first, Ernie D. Gregorio's first few games in Buffalo, the walk-up gate was phenomenal. It was more than 5,000 you know, tickets sold just for those games. Wow. And so, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of part and parcel to it. So you've got different individuals with different motivations, but the roads come back to the same guy. 
comes back to Ernie D. Gregorio, who's been all over TV. Um, you know, who's people know him. People love. You know, he's got he's got one of those names that you know people just yep. love to say. It's, it's Ernie D. Gregorio. It's yeah. Ernie D. You know, it's almost <laughs> like. Uh, I don't know, Katie Ledecky, you know, the swimmer in the Olympics or something. But one of those names just kind of rolls off. And the other thing that Snyder, I, I think this was a little bit more far-fetched, and I think it was a little stereotype in a way, but Buffalo has a pretty big Italian population. Sure. And so he was, like, scheming on that, going, well, you know, here's a Italian guy, you know, or at least an Italian guy with an Italian-sounding name. And potentially that's going to bring in more folks. I think in some way Snyder was <laughs> maybe, you know, underselling how savvy the Buffalo fan is. But, you know, I think once people saw that Ernie D. Gregorio could really help this team and and he was fun to watch. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot of there's a lot of athletes, as you all know, Warren, that are very successful. But I don't know. They, they, they don't thrill you. Nothing flamboyant. They're not fun to watch. They're just, they get the job done and you need some of those guys, but there's people that put fannies in the seats and he was one of those people. Yeah. And he was going to do it, you know, especially in that first year, he did it on two levels. He did it because the team was winning. He was making the team winner, a winner, but also it was, oh, tonight we may go to the game and we may see a pass you may never see again. You know, mm-hmm. behind the back, you know, you put the ball between some defender's legs, perfect bounce pass to McAdoo, whatever it may be. And and I think there were some fans who were just coming, you know, we're coming for that too. I'm, I'm going tonight to maybe see something I may never see again. And um, and he, he at times rose to that occasion. And one of those things they might have never seen again, and you talked about it earlier, was 25 assists in one game which was then the NBA record for a rookie in one game to go along with 20 points and nine rebounds. It was against the Portland Trailblazers, who ironically, Jack Ramsey, would coach to an NBA championship a couple of years later. What a game. Yeah. And, what, and, what, you know, what do you remember from that game or, or, or have you heard from that game? I mean, that's the kind of game that puts fannies in the seats, and that's what – Buffalo had hoped that they were drafting, and man, did they draft it. Yeah, and they got it. And you talk to guys who played in that game, you know, as I did doing Buffalo Home of the Braves, like Randy Smith, Bob Bacadoo, et cetera. It was, they had figured it out before, but it's like, it was like one of those perfect storms where things are coming together, meaning, okay, we figured out we if we were in certain places, he's going to get us the ball. He's going to get us the ball where, I would really like it where I can do some damage with it, et cetera. And then, you know, so that epiphany is happening or already happened. So people are where they need to be. The ball is getting to them and it's one of the nights where the shots fell. And so it's kind of like the one, two, and it's like one of those games where, okay, we figured it out. We, we know how we can best help each other. And I, if you watch teams, especially with basketball, but maybe with, you know, certainly with other sports too, um, even though it's more difficult, say, sometimes with, I don't know, hockey or football because of the helmets and such. But I think this is why you see players just kind of with that, I don't want to say idiotic smile, but, you know, almost smiling like kids a little bit when when things work out. 
you know, because you know they practice a lot. They think a lot about okay, okay, how how are we going to beat so and so, and we've got to be here on the floor or whatever it may be. And when it clicks, this is when they're suddenly back to being kids again. This is this is the joy of sport. And you talk about guys from that particular game. They talk about how much fun they had that night, uh-huh. and and it was you know, and certainly Ernie gets the record, but in a way, it's a team record. You know, right. people have to be where they need to be, and they got to put the ball in the box. Yeah, that's what yeah, I, yeah. You, you know, you're not it's not going to be an assist if a ball doesn't go in. And so, you know, in talking with you know the Braves players about that particular game, they just remember being just so happy. You know, you know, like, you know, we put in all this due diligence, we've done all this work, but this is one of those moments where, yeah, it does pay off. We can have a game like this. We, we, we have the potential to have our point guard get 25 assists. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's not like one of those records where that, you know, somebody goes off for, I don't know, like Bob McAdoo goes off for like 52 or 54 points. Certainly is teammates are involved and it's there's a team effort but right you know what when you're talking assists it's very much a you know two plus two has got equal four it's got to be a quid pro quo it's got to be i hit you with that pass but you sank the shot you know and so it, it, it you know it was a big deal to them it was it was quite the night he goes on to win rookie of the year the second straight rookie of the year that the braves have mcadoo winning the year earlier and the last time you were on and we were talking about the Buffalo Braves and we talked about all the rookies of the year that this team had three in five years because two years after Ernie wins rookie of the year, Adrian Dantley comes onto the team. He wins rookie of the year. It's crazy to think about how many good players were on the Buffalo Braves and you had McAdoo, you had Ernie D, then along comes Adrian Dantley. By the way, while I was researching for this show, you know that shortly after they moved to San Diego, they had another rookie of the year, Terry Cummings. What was it about this team that was able to identify such great talent? Well, I think they identified it, but they also weren't, they had openings. In a sense, there there was there was the opportunity to step in, and and I think in talking with Jack Ramsey, you know, you know years ago and putting together Buffalo, home of the Braves, etc., was there was opportunity with the Braves, and if you could produce, you were going to maybe play a lot. Hmm. And 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 I think you know we were discussing last time if they. I think they could have even had another one in a Braves uniform if they'd hung on to Moses Malone. Right. You know, you know, there's a potential rookie in the year. Instead, they only they shipped them out after two and a half weeks because of management, you know, front office dysfunction. But yeah, I think it was Buffalo. Buffalo had this kind of interesting. Um, uh, it was interesting how the players viewed Buffalo and the Braves organization just during this short period of time. It was viewed as a team that certainly could score and had a tremendous upside. And usually when you start saying those type of things, it doesn't equate to opportunity. You know, you're almost kind of going, wow, that team's really on the rise. Maybe I don't want to be drafted by them. But the thing is, things are so 
back and forth a little bit that there were openings on a, on a fairly regular basis. And so the Braves were viewed as this team that, ironically, you wanted to kind of get to because for a while they were coached by Ramsey. He seemed to be open to anything that would kind of work um, due to front office, <laughs> you know, trading away guys like Moses Malone or, and such. You know, there were going to be holes in the roster. And yet you could play with Ernie Gregorio, Randy Smith, Bob McAdoo. You know, that's pretty good company. I think I'm going to be looking for good. It's funny. One of the guys I talked with way back was Gar Hurd, and Gar had been traded over from Phoenix Suns, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and when he got the when he got the word, he was pretty excited. <laughs> you know, go to Buffalo from Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Go to Buffalo from Phoenix. You're going on the one level. This doesn't. Does this add up? But he he explained it very well. He said. I was joining a, you know, I'm joining a great, you know, potentially great team. But the next thing he added was the roster wasn't set. And so that meant, wow, okay, a lot of talent, but that doesn't mean it's set in stone. It doesn't right. mean you're going to be buried on the bench somewhere. It's, it's going to be, okay, this, this team is not going to, you know, they're not going to be the worst team around. They're contending. They're on the way to potentially you know, they're going to be making the playoffs on a somewhat regular basis, yet you can work your way into the lineup. And he remembered being very, very excited about that. Pretty cool. So getting back to Ernie, not surprisingly in his rookie year, he leads the NBA in assists, leads the uh, league in free throw percentage. How did his game develop over the next couple of years before he, I guess, flamed out? Um, tell me about his game over the next couple of years. Was he consistent, uh, ups and downs? What was his game like after his rookie year? It was it was pretty consistent, or it was becoming more consistent. Warren, I mean, I, the, you always had this problem of him getting posted up by bigger guards, you know, which we've talked about a little bit before. But one of the things that was working into it was that um, – Randy Smith was now in the backcourt, and Randy Smith was as fast as anybody I think has ever played in the NBA. Hmm. And was very good at, at, at doubling over or kind of helping on defense. And uh, he not only could do that, but get out on the wing very quickly and be ready for a pass from De Gregorio. So you suddenly had, you know, and I think this is what good teams do. They, they see a weakness maybe a teammate has, and it's not like they overcompensate and you know, compromise themselves, but they find a way to maybe help out at times, hedge over, whatever, and help. And I, and I think the, the Braves were starting to do that a bit. Unfortunately, just as it seemed like the consistency was picking up, um, Ernie D hurts his knee. Yeah. And it's pretty much, you know, I guess it's like two months or so into the next season, his sophomore season, um, or second season in the NBA. And, and he still remembers to this day, everything that happened in that. I mean, he was playing golden state. It was, they were on the road. It was kind of the first big road trip of that, that season for them. Um, they were at that point leading the Atlantic division. They were number one and, um, they're playing golden state and, they lost the game, but what everybody remembers is about midway through the game, Di Gregorio came down in a fast break and uh, tried to go around 
um, one of the warriors, and um, as he said, I took an extra long stride, and in doing so, pretty much tore the cartilage mm. in the knee. And, and he was like in the lane, and he spun, and ironically, the guy he hit with the pass was Gar Hurd, who made the basket. And at first, he, he thought it was like a pull. He thought it was, oh, okay, I you know, Charlie Horse, I don't know, maybe it's something with a hamstring. And he finished the game. And it <laughs> wasn't until afterwards, and again, they're on the road, and so we're, we don't really have the, so you're having to use, in a sense, the Warriors physicians. It's not like everybody's, the whole doctor staff's traveling and right. it's not happening at Buffalo. And, and looking back at it, I wonder if he got, the right medical advice, you know, because it seemed pretty certain the the recommendation that came down pretty quickly was, you know, operate. And this is this is kind of before really arthroscopic surgery was right. was really out there, and it was pretty much at that point zipper cuts and the you know along the joint and everything. And, you know, he's never gone totally down this road with me, but in talking about the injury itself, he, he kind of hints that I wish maybe I'd given it a little bit more time in a sense before we did surgery, you know, mm. maybe it would have played out a little bit different, but, you know, surgery being what it was back in that day, once you went under the knife, um, it was getting to be a real coin flip, whether you were going to come back and be the athlete you were and he did have some good he did have some more good moments even one with buffalo you know uh later that season in the playoffs he he wasn't really starting anymore he came off the bench and played very well against the celtics saved the game for them and then he had some other you know good stretches say with los angeles with the lakers and um with the Celtics, even I, I believe. Yeah, he went. He um, went on to play for the Lakers and the Celtics, but not for very long, and and that's really a shame. Yeah, and it's it's funny, you know. The other thing he told me, Warren, about that injury was like when growing up. One reason he was such a good dribbler and even see the court pass or all that type of stuff was everywhere he went growing up. You know, as a kid, he had a basketball. He was dribbling the basketball, sidewalks, you know, okay, I'm going down to the playground. I'm going to be here a couple hours, all that. Um, he like did Pete not Maravich. Play. Yeah, and it's funny because they almost, they both had almost kind of the same, um, it, there was a cost to that. And, and both of them, I think Maravich, maybe more so because his dad was a coach, he had more access to wood floors. Steve Gregorio, growing up, really didn't play that much, at least until he got into high school and certainly into Providence, um, that much on wood courts. It was all playgrounds. And he told me one time, he goes, boy, I wonder sometimes how much, you know, just that asphalt just just beat up my, my knees. Mm. It would have been maybe good to, you know, have someplace else I could have practiced. You had the keys to a gym, you know, something like that. But that wasn't. You know, that's what wasn't what he was offered, and and uh, he always kind of wondered how much that beat up the cartilage in the knees. Right after after his career was over, he bounced around a little bit, um, and then 
Tell me about a team called the Buffalo 716ers and who <laughs> and coaching them. Yeah, <laughs> what, what was who were they and what was Ernie to them? Ernie was their coach. From what I understand, he was a pretty good coach. They, they were kind of um I don't know what they were kind of like minor league basketball. Um I'm not even sure what league they were in. It's funny because now we're back to Buffalo, the city of Buffalo is continuing infatuation with basketball. Uh-huh. And so you see these teams kind of bubble up every now and then. That, okay, you know, like they, they play in these outlaw leagues and they get some people show up and, and then they disappear. And a couple of years later, another one pops up. They they brought in Ernie D to coach them in large part because everybody still knows Ernie D. Gregorio right. in Buffalo. They were doing it some of the draw. From what I understand, he was a pretty good coach. But he wasn't, um, he was pretty much coming in. I don't believe he was living in Buffalo again. It was, he was like coming in for games and this type of thing. <laughs> so it was a little, little ad hoc. Um, but the situation he ended up going on to where actually I ended up tracking him down was he was a greeter for, I want to say it was Foxwood Casinos. Uh-huh. in um new england uh, that's either connecticut or someplace yeah it's in connecticut and, yeah and so he was a greeter there which makes in my mind perfect sense you know i mean <laughs> he, he would be great at it i mean he, he loves people he loves to schmooze i mean he'd be awesome and then in doing buffalo home of the Braves, and nobody had quite put this together this just this, this cracked me up not that far down the road at another casino um this one may have been in I'm not sure. It may have been across the state line. It may not have been. But was Randy Smith. Huh. And Randy Smith, his old backcourt <laughs> running mate, they were both working in casinos. <laughs> and But they were doing totally different things. Ernie D was the greeter at his casino. Okay, that makes sense. I find Randy Smith, who's now unfortunately passed on, and but he wasn't a greeter. And so that, make, that makes sense, too. I mean, Randy was you know, a good enough guy, but he's not a, he's not a schmoozer like Ernie is. And, and one of the first times I remember talking with Randy and I tracked him down and he gave me a cell number and such when, when I was doing initial research for Buffalo home of the Braves. And he said, but I'm not a greeter. And he'd heard about Randy, he'd heard about <laughs> Ernie down the, down the road somewhere, but I'm not a greeter. I'm there. Okay. Well, what do you do? Because I, I'm thinking, this is what athletes always do, right? Why are they greeters at casinos if that's what they go into? <laughs> and he goes, no, no, I'm not, I'm not a greeter. I'm kind of, and he had some term for it, I've forgotten, but he was like, when, when the high rollers came into town, he was the guy who made sure like the suite was immaculate. Oh, he wow. was the one that made sure that, you know, how, you know, whatever, how many amount of chips were right there for him. If they were getting kind of sick of playing blackjack, okay, let's go over to the roulette wheel or let's go over to whatever. And in a sense, he was more of um, a handler for them. He kind of came in and became part of their posse. Uh-huh. And um, and in the very first time we talked, and he was explaining this to me, I'm going, okay, I think I get this. <laughs> and, and, he, and he warned me, though. He said, you've got myself. Call any time. But there might be sometimes I can't talk and don't take it personally. <laughs> and I went, okay, and okay, that's kind of interesting. And I, and it did happen. Like the third or fourth time I called, 
and I was doing a section on Bob McAdoo and him and Randy Smith and Bob McAdoo were like the best of friends. They were as close as, you know, teammates could be, really looked out for each other, et cetera. And, and I called him at the casino. I, I called him on the cell. I'm not sure if he's at home at the casino. And it was one night, and I was just trying to – I couldn't figure something out. I was trying to check something. And Randy picked up the phone, picked up his cell, and I said, Randy, it's Tim Wendell, you know, the guy's doing the book on the Braves. And he's like, yeah, hi, Tim. Can't talk now. Big money in town. And he hung up. <laughs> and I went, okay, he's warned me about this. <laughs> and then he called me up the next morning. It was very apologetic. He said, I'm sorry I had to hung, hang up on you. And, so, and they're like, no, no, you told me this could happen. It's perfectly fine. And um, that's your job. But that was his job. And his job was to, you know, make sure the high rollers were having a good time. Whereas Ernie's job was to be kind of out front and everybody rolling in. Hey, it's Ernie D. Gregorio. This must be a great place because he's out here shaking hands and we're having a good time. But I always found that so incredible that here you had the starting backcourt for you know what almost two seasons with the Braves and they both ended up in that line of work later on you just go who who would have figured yeah really interesting like Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle they were both at one time associated with casinos hey Tim if you had to sum up the career of Ernie DiGregorio how would you do it what would you say I guess I would sum it up by saying, Warren, I I don't think we ever saw the best of them. You know, we saw glimmers. We saw flashes. We saw a guy who's, you hate to say it, his best year in the NBA among many is his rookie year. Just think how, how much better he would have been if he'd been allowed to figure some things out and, mm-hmm. and allowed to stay in the league and allowed to grow and and not be, you know, like a rookie where, where you're going, geez, my next mistake could land me on the bench, you know, even with somebody with the patience of uh, Dr. Jack. And, and I find myself going back to, I think Bob Cousy was right, you know, in a sense, Ernie DiGregorio was the next Bob Cousy, but we never got a chance to see it. Through no and fault because, of his own. Yeah, it was just the way. You know, because of injury, what happened, it's just fate. And um, and, and it's funny, you talk to Cousy, you talk to Oscar Robertson, I mean, we're going back now. But you bring up Ernie DiGregorio, and they they felt he played the game, at least in part, the way they used to play it. Mm. And that would have been really interesting to see play out over, uh, oh gosh, you know, give us eight, eight seasons, ten seasons on the NBA level, you know, somebody that's respected that much, even though he barely has a professional career, but, you know, he's respected that much. That's amazing. As some careers end that way. Hey, Tim, thank you again so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. I really enjoy our conversations. I would love it. I love it, Warren. Anytime. For his career, Ernie DiGregorio averaged 9.1 points per game and 5.1 assists per game. In 15 career playoff games, he averaged 10 points per game and 6.5 assists per game. He had such a promising career ahead of him before a knee injury sidelined him and ultimately caused Ernie to call it quits. Just how good was he? Well, 
In an article posted on NCAA.com, the great Bob Cousy was asked if there was anyone who reminded him of himself. This was back in the 70s, and Cousy said that Ernie was the only man who had the ability to hit the open man like he did. Quite a compliment. Ernie just had a knack for basketball. He wasn't big, standing just six foot even, and he weighed all of 180 pounds, but he was quick. In high school, he led his team to a state championship, and of course, his career at Providence, where he was an NCAA All-America, was nothing less than spectacular. And those few years he played at the odd, well, if you blinked, you might have missed something amazing. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to take a look back at the man for whom the Heisman Trophy was named, John Heisman. Sure, we've all heard of the Heisman Trophy, but who was John Heisman and why was there a trophy, perhaps the most famous trophy in all of sports, named after him? The story of the forgotten career of John W. Heisman next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to today's guest, Tim Wendell. We'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.